Welcome to RUF. No matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we want you to feel welcome in RUF. I said it two weeks ago. If you don't feel welcome in RUF, something is wrong with RUF. Uh, we want you to feel welcome, whether it's at our Bible studies, meeting one-on-one with me or Caroline, or you're at large group here right now. We want you to feel welcome. We're one of the many campus ministries here at Wofford walking alongside you during these formative years of college trying to help you grow in your faith. And we are trying to figure out what it looks like to love God and to love others uh, and to love Wofford. But more fundamentally, we're bound by the reality that God loves us in the personal work of Jesus Christ. So before we love God, before we love others, before we love this place, Jesus loves us. So it's sermon or Bible study or RUF lunch. We want you to see and experience the mercy of Jesus. That is the deal in RUF. We're continuing this long series, semester-long series in the book of Genesis. We're doing Genesis 1 through 11. Can't do all of Genesis. It's 50 chapters. We're not going to do that. Um, but we're doing 1 to 11. And the reason we're doing that is we're calling it first words. First words, beginnings are everything. I said this two weeks ago. Beginnings are everything. And because the Bible is actually a story, the Old and New Testament is one overarching story of God restoring the whole of creation from sin, sickness, and death through the personal work of Jesus Christ. And Genesis, we got to think of it as the pilot episode. This is season one, episode one of the scriptures. And so the first word on God, the first word on creation, that's the night. Next week is first word on humanity and relationships and work and rest. God's first words, first things are everything. So we got creation tonight. You have the game plan in front of you. Uh, What we're going to do is two things. I want you to know that Christians are invited to delight in God's creation, to sink their teeth in the beauty and order and goodness of God's creation. We're going to see that in that the scriptures invite us to listen to God's creation and delight in God's creation. Listen, delight, listen, and delight. Let's do the first one. Listen. So when we listen to God's creation, we will see what the psalmist told us, and he's saying in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Creation is a song, and it is singing about God's character, and we got to listen. And when we listen, we hear a couple things. The first thing we hear is order. We hear order with, with the goodness of creation. Did you notice the order, the repetition? Everything is in place. And what Sam just read, there's nothing out of place. God knows exactly what he's doing. And God speaks with this creative and purposeful rhythm. And out comes creation. He speaks and it was so and it was good. That's the rhythm. He speaks and it was so. Whatever he wants to happen is going to happen. And he looks at what he made and it was good. There's a rhythm to it. We see all kinds of of kind of rhythms and repetition and order In each day, there's an announcement, God said. There's a commandment, let there be. There's a separation. He separates light from darkness, sea from land. There's naming. He calls everything what it is. And actually, next week, we're going to see, as those made in God's image, he tells us to start naming things. There's naming. There's also evaluation. It was good. And then there's a chronological framework, night and day, day and night. Over and over and over again. There's order. That's what we see. Creation sings, and when we hear it, we hear order. We also see, if we look at kind of a macro level of the passage, you see that God creates realms and rulers. 
So sea and dry land and animals, and he gives rulers to rule over those realms. There's order kind of in the microscopic details of the creation account. Lots of ink has been spilled over that. But I'm just like reading it almost like you would read a poem. You can just see there's order and purpose to it. Genesis 1 shows shows us that the beauty of creation is a lot of how ordered it is, how purposeful it is. It means that the world was not created arbitrarily or by accident. And by extension, it means that you are, there's nothing about you that is arbitrary. There's nothing about you that is an accident. One of my favorite writers uh, that I'm going to refer to a couple times in this sermon on creation and how beautiful God's world is, is Brian Doyle. And Brian Doyle talks about hummingbirds a lot. Here's what he says. Consider the hummingbirds for a long moment. A hummingbird's heart beats 10 times a second. A hummingbird's heart is the size of a pencil eraser. A hummingbird's heart is a lot of the hummingbird. Each hummingbird visits a thousand flowers a day. They can drive at 60 miles an hour. They can fly backward. They can fly more than 500 miles without pausing to rest. So Doyle actually goes on to describe, this is like a little like poetic reflection on, the, on hearts. And he says the blue whale is actually has the largest heart in all of the world. And it's the, the chambers of the heart is like the size of a small room. So it's just, there's order and purpose to God's world, whether it's the hummingbird or the blue whale or you or me. My, one of my friends from seminary studied uh, physics when he was an undergrad. And when we were together, I was with some seminary friends last week. And Stuart, when he starts like riffing and show, like flexing his like physics muscles in front of us, just like, Stuart, okay, we get it. <clears throat> um, but he like nerds out on like air and space and like how things work in the world in ways that like English majors cannot. And we just marvel at what he's studied. And he's highlighting the beauty of God's order. And God's purpose. My father-in-law, Ivy's dad, worked for NASA for like decades. And he can riff in the same way that my friend Stuart can. With like such, he just makes it so beautiful the way that he talks about rockets and space engineering and aerodynamics, etc. Many of you are called to vocations that are involved with like God's order in the world. So many of y'all, like some of y'all want to do surgery because you're like, infatuated with how God has made the human body and the order to it. Some of you want to go into economics and politics because you like the structures of like how our world works and how like the stock market works and there's order to it. And when you light up, when you talk to me about it, there's order in God's world. And a lot of y'all want to like go into these fields and use your gifts and steward them for the beauty of the world and for the good of your neighbor. So order is everywhere. Okay, and if God created, like, miraculously and meticulously the hummingbird's heart, then he has made you. Psalmist says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows how many hairs you have. He knows when you're going to lose hair. <clears throat> he knows when your beard is going to start turning gray because you're a dad and how many gray hairs you have. He knows how many scars you have on your body that no one else has ever seen that maybe are like birthmarks or maybe were inflicted on you. He knows what that is. He knows you inside and out meticulously, not arbitrarily, specifically. 
He knows you that way. Of course he does. Order. Hummingbirds, blue whales, you and me. Order. We also see when we listen to God's creation, we experience not just order, but grace. We experience grace. Now, what I mean by that is that creation is a gift rather than, it's a, than a thing to be manipulated or controlled for our own selfish gain. It's a gift to say thanks. God's world is beautiful. You've created this. And everybody gets in on this. Theologians over the years have just called this common grace. Common meaning it's common to everybody. The rain falls on Christians and non-Christians, right? And we always see that, like Eugene Peterson says this, I love it. Creation is sheer grace because everybody wakes up to it in the morning. Creation is sheer grace because everybody wakes up to it in the morning. Think of how uh, everyone loves the changing and the nuances of the seasons, for example. It's like a meme and how like Instagrammable the fall season is, like all the autumn, like pumpkin spice, everything that we live in during the, like during the autumn. But what is, we can like roll our eyes at that, but we can't take our eyes off trees and our heart rates like rise when we see snow because like our hearts are actually longing to rest in the creator who made that stuff. Grace. And that's why we're like, so this warm weather right now, we're like longing to get around the corner of winter because we're, our bodies literally are longing for what spring is going to do. And everybody gets in on this. God, that's order, but also grace. Like it doesn't have to look that good. Like it's so pretty, right? God's world is so beautiful. So everyone gets in on it. And that means that it's a gift. Again, I I want you to see that sun and moon, coffee and biscuits and pancakes in the morning, Burwell's new like ice cream thing that they have going on. It's a gift. It's all gift. It is all grace. (laughs) Say thanks, eat it, drink it, taste and see Jesus's goodness. So we don't just listen to creation. We delight in it. That's the second one. Let's do that. Delight. Listen and delight. The biblical story invites us to delight not just to listen. And when we delight, it brings us pleasure. Delighting in God's goodness in his creation brings us pleasure. Why? Because it brought God pleasure. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. He is giddy about his creation, about his world. I love one, um, one theologian just says, God made the world because he likes it. God made the world because he likes it. I mean, you have to think, think of the onion for an example. Think of how, yeah, I know, and how amazing they smell when they're being cooked and how gross they are when they're not being cooked. But how, like, how nuanced and specific peeling and slicing an onion is. God likes onions. That's why he made them. God likes, and he, he knows the aroma that, that, that onions are going to bring us. God made the world because he likes it. You and I delight because God delights. And we're going to talk about that next week, being made in God's image Part of what that means is delighting in and stewarding God's world. Why he delights in it, he loves it. So we delight in it and we love in it. We love it. Mary Oliver, one of my favorite poets, says this. This is in your handout. I love this. This is a longer poem y'all should look up and read. But she says, eat bread and understand comfort. Drink water and understand delight. Look and look again. This world is not just a little thrill for the eyes. Delight. Delight. Children, you don't have to like teach them to delight in God's world. They just delight. 
Um, Annie is beginning to say a few words, and one of them, one of the new ones, like as the like the last two weeks, is outside. <clears throat> and she will just point and say outside, and she sees our dog Riggins go out there, and she lights up in delight and wonder when we go out there. We were doing that this afternoon, and she has a meltdown and collapses on the floor when we come inside. You don't have to teach Annie to delight. We got to become children again. We've got to learn how to play again. We've got to learn and open our eyes to the beauty of God's world. This means, among other things, we got to go fly fishing. We've got to play tennis. We've got to hike on the Blue Ridge Parkway. We've got to grill steaks. We've got to chop the onions. We've got to eat slow. We have to make eye contact with the people we're eating with and notice the nuances of their personalities and how God has made them and what they're wearing and who they've been to you of going this slow Sabbath kind of life that actually has an open mind, open eyes, and therefore an open heart to the beauty of this life on earth that God has given us as we sink our teeth into this life. So that's, I love lemongrass and the pho. You need to go like tomorrow. Or these like massive burritos for Burrito Hub. They're like in town. Y'all should go eat them. That is a gift from Jesus. We got a delight. This is important. Here's why. This is important because for many years, and maybe you grew up, if you grew up in church, maybe you heard something like this. If you really want to be spiritual and you really want to grow in your faith, you need to escape creation. Becoming more like Jesus means increasingly more divorced from and removed from the world. So therefore, salvation is escaping the world, escaping creation. That's not Genesis 1 at all. Genesis 1 tells us that salvation, what Slayton read at the end of the biblical story, sounds a lot like Eden because God, salvation through Jesus Christ is the restoration of creation. It's the restoration of all things. It's physical because God likes his stuff and he doesn't want sin to be anywhere part of it. So cross and resurrection is to restore creation, not obliterate it, not to escape it. So the most like spirit, like burrito hub burrito is like one of the most, maybe that's actually one of the most sanctification sort of Jesus like things you can do tomorrow with open eyes, with gratitude now, because now it's like charged with like holiness now. You know what I'm saying? All right. Tim Keller says this, like this kind of escapism because the physical world is bad and we have to escape it. Tim Keller says that it's, it's resulted in a couple things. That the church believing subconsciously or even just like willingly accepting this, that man, think about this, manual labor is demeaning. Two, sexual pleasure is intrinsically dirty. Three, salvation is found in denying yourself of pleasure. Number four, instead of feeling pleasure, we should try and feel pain and suffering. You can see how this like easily, res- those, those conclusions and living into those realities come from like this really distorted and denigrated relationship to creation. It's not charged with holiness anymore. We got to escape it. But that's not Genesis 1 because over and over again, he says it's good. And then conclusion in seventh day, it's very good. It's very good. The repetition is on purpose. Okay, so when we delight in creation, we see, um, we see all kinds of things, but we also see that uh, God's presence is there. God's pre- presence, not his pleasure only, but his presence. When we delight in his creation, 
we experience what Gerard Manley Hopkins, another poet, says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. And we get in on that. The Apostle Paul says it in Acts 14. He says that God has shown kindness, listen to this, by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He's provided you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Charged with the grandeur of God. Crops, burritos, (laughs) ice cream. My seminary professor uh, who I, I was close with, who was really important to me, his name is Jerem Bars, and there's a really popular story that he would tell in almost every class, and it was his conversion story. And he was in college, and he was depressed, and he eventually becomes suicidal, and he goes up to a mountain, and he had planned on jumping off of a cliff and ending his life, and the beauty of creation saved his life, and this is what he says. Growing in a sense of despair, I decided to throw myself over a cliff outside Manchester. He was British, or is British, outside Manchester at a place called Albany's Edge at Cheshire. It was a day in January, and when I got there, it was very cold, just above freezing, but the sun was shining. I stood on the edge of the cliff, ready to cast myself over, but then I was struck by the beauty of nature before me. I wouldn't have called it creation at this point in my life. But I did think, I've got to keep searching because there's got to be a reason why this world is so lovely. And Jerem chose not to jump. And he, that sparked a spiritual journey of him resting in Jesus and impacting like generations. He's at the end of his career now of pastors like me. Christianity invites us to taste and see the grace of Jesus by delighting in creation, not escaping it. All right, time to land the plane. I want to give us a couple things to chew on just very practically while we lead. I think if we're to like really do what we're saying, like see that the world is charged with God's grandeur and it's holy, like like Wofford College is holy ground, so let's open our eyes. We have to resist a couple things. I already hinted at the first one, the sacred secular division. And, and just chew on this for, and, and eat it later um, and talk about it with friends. But the secular, div- secular divide, sacred secular, is this. If I, were to, if I were to grow in Jesus and his likeness, I have to escape creation. And I just think that that results in a lot of unnecessary guilt and legalism in Christian cultures. And I've experienced that growing up. Um, where there's just like the only way to be a Christian is like Bible reading plans. Like, why are you playing outside and listen, like, like listening to Mozart? Okay, you know what I mean? So there's like, that could be a conversation, a sermon for another day, but this sacred secular division does not exist in the Bible. We got to resist it. The second thing is, I would just say, we have to resist an infatuation with creation. This is like a life that is all like obsessed and like always on the hunt for the perfect like aesthetic experience. And essentially what we get, because creation is so, it can be so intoxicating, we end up worshiping the creation instead of the creator. So we just have to like be self-aware in Christian community to say like, how am I tempted to like take food and drink and elevate it where it's like doing stuff to my insides that only Jesus can do? Okay, we just have to have an honest relationship to creation even as we're playing in it. 
That's what I would say. So we have to resist the infatuation with creation. And in a lot of ways, that's just good old-fashioned idolatry. The last thing is resist being overly pragmatic with creation. What I mean by that pragmatism is that if you have a static relationship to creation, like creation is like just for roads for me to get to point A and B, it's just boring. There's no play and there's no wonder. It's just pragmatism. And I would say like in a Western world that we live in, that's like really in our bones, the way that we walk around in the world. Like that walk that I've talked about several times between Olin and Old Main, that's like the best walk on campus. Here are our options. That is either point A to point B or the prettiest walk on campus. You pick. And we have Christian categories for why it's the latter. It's the best walk on campus because God loves us and knows exactly how that light's going to poke in the trees. Or pragmatism says, I'm just going to class. Let's check Twitter on my phone. Okay? Do the latter. Okay, efficiency and no wonder, we might just say. It's all efficiency, but no wonder. All right, Brian Doyle, closing with him again. He's continuing to talk about the heart, but he's talking about human hearts now. Think of the heart as a music machine. Y'all, this is so good. Think of the heart as a music machine. Not a far-fetched idea, because the heart runs on electric impulses that does so in a steady four-by-four rhythm. A musical friend of mine maintains and argues that the four-by-four rhythm is standard in popular music, and it feels right, feels normal, because that's the pace of the human heart. The interior music we all day and all night hear and breathe into. We are soaked in the song of the heart every day, every hour of every year, every lifelong. And let me just say, like, as the song that is your heart that God made and every, all the nuances of the chambers and every breath that you take in is from Jesus. I just want to say like that passage that Slayton read is like the conclusion of what he's doing to creation and your heart that he made that is singing is to like sing with him in your life, to go with the grain of creation, not against it. Sin, all sin is, we're going to see this in a few weeks is going against the grain of creation. We can pick. We want to sing or resist. Let me suggest the best way to do it is to sing with Jesus, and we'll feast with him. He promised he's going to do it with no tears, no cancer, no death, renewed heavens and new earth with burritos and all. He'll be there. Let me pray.